1: Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett, Ned Simons, Graeme Deminick and Paul War. Jeremy Corbyn gave what was widely agreed to be his best performance at PMQs yet on Wednesday with a takedown of the government's plans to force schools to become academies the Labour leader quoted a range of people opposed to the policy who pretty much all happen to be Tories. Here he is in action.
2: He claims to be an advocate of devolution. So is he not concerned about criticisms from his friend, the member for Altrincham and Sale West, who says there is little accountability or parental involvement? Can't the Prime Minister understand the... Anger so many people feel that just being imposed on them a system they don't want on what are often already very good, if not outstanding, schools. Okay, it might not have
1: sounded like it from that clip, <laughs> Ned, but it was a good performance, right? He got, the, he got the the house on his side, didn't he?
3: Yeah, I think, as you were saying there, I think it was his best one today, And I think the reason was he almost did everything there that up to this date he hasn't done. It was completely different to his usual approach. He step, stuck to one topic, which was the academies. He quoted Tory rebels at the Prime Minister, including a Conservative councillor. From own constituency in the past he sort of has not used that weapon when he's had it he also used an interesting phrase he kept talking about the top-down reorganization of schools which is an obvious nod to the nhs reforms which became so unpopular and he, cameron did okay Cameron wasn't sort of on the ropes but i think it was corbyn's best one because he kind of rejected every approach to pmqs he's taken apart from he couldn't resist a little sort of you know someone told me in the street he did mention some children that yeah, were unhappy with t- schooling children, yeah. and I, I don't know if that's the best approach I, I saw what he was trying to do but i think that wasn't so good i think the rest of it though he was very very good
4: I thought it worked because he he finally grasped the rules of PMQs, which is, you know, you have to build this crescendo. You have to end on a big, big knockout punch. You can't just... hit on your fourth question out of six, and then do two other ones that don't really do anything. You build it up, and then the final six question, you go bang. And the PM, who's always got the advantage of the comeback, that's yeah. the great thing about PMQs for prime ministers. It's a pain in the backside, as Tony Blair's written at great length, because you've got to research everything, and US presidents don't have to do this every week. You know, it's quite a British, unique institution. You know, the, the leader of the country has got to know everything for half an hour. But the one thing they do have is they've got the power of the last word. And as we know in politics, that matters. But if you get the right sixth question, the right knockout punch, and it wasn't a knockout, but it was a pretty good punch from Corbyn, then the PM will have to sort of scramble and look like he's on the defensive when he should it be on the offensive. Which is also quite
3: good for Corbyn on the topic as well, because we're expecting the kind of academy's policy to be watered down or changed some way. By going on this, it means when that happens, he can claim credit. It's sort of his thing saying, you know, he just happens to be around. But because he focused on it, he can then say to his party, to his members, look, and to the voters. I did this, we did this, we put the pressure on. Even if he's actually coming from... Bench, Tory backbenchers he can by doing that say look look what I did
4: but the art of good opposition when you've got a tiny majority and everyone forgets this government's got a tiny mm, tiny majority yeah. is using in the judo sense the weight of the opposition against you the weight of the Tory party in your favour mm. so you you pick off those Tory backbenchers who agree with you on a certain subject whether it's Sunday trading whether it's this you know and you then effect change and we'll talk about that how it works in the Lords later I
1: mean if this is all it sort of goes with the idea that you, you know, with the whole tax stuff. Oh, look, Cameron's got to resign. That was a waste of time. It's never going to happen. But stuff like this. It's exactly, it's exactly right, was not it? You, you, you see where the, the tide is going anyway, and you go with it. Graham, was this a return to the old politics? I thought we were doing the new politics where he didn't do these things. Yeah, yeah,
0: he didn't exactly.
5: by the old rules, right? I mean, that was that was his thing, wasn't it? To bring in kind of crowdsourcing of questions and it to be a, a kinder, gentler politics, and uh, who's going to do it his way. Fast forward were we kind of six months, seven months, eight months in and, and we have basic return to the, the old way of do, the old way of doing politics. But but the kinda of good the good way of doing politics is is kinda of picking your subject right, doing your research, asking the questions right, landing your landing your punches. Um, and, and maybe th- maybe those things aren't such such bad things after all. Corbyn is, is but maybe.
4: Uh, and we were talking about this earlier, weren't we? That maybe we're giving him a bit too much credit for actually doing <laughs> what he should be doing already. <laughs> yeah. So not tripping up and falling <laughs> over your shoelaces—that's a bonus. Getting to the starting line. There is an element yeah. amongst yeah. the Labour backbenches where people are saying, "Oh, finally, he's got you know what PMQs has got to be." But well,
5: um, Ed, yeah, Ed Miliband didn't get much credit for asking the right questions at the right time, did he? He was just this is what you're supposed to do as the opposition leader, and, and everything course, else he was criticised for was, was kind of above and beyond. This. Absolutely, it's, it's don't massive
3: forget. hustle. He was being really bad at it for months, just so now he's rope a dope. I'm not quite sure I buy that. I mean,
4: even even from that clip, you could see how it's still he doesn't. It's not really comfortable with no. the delivery. He's getting there. I mean, you know, he's a brilliant advert for you know learning on the job. Yeah. And he's learnt on the job. And it's, and, it, and it's exactly and it, and it's a tough, tough gig to do it from ne- always being on the backbench. So your whole life, never had any experience as a front bench. Everyone forgets this. You know. most most prime ministers have spent years crafting that trade at the dispatch box. Yeah. He's had none, absolutely yeah. zero.
5: He always seems quite calm at the dispatch box, so I'll say that. It's always kind of a zen-like quality yeah. to, to Corbyn there. He's never particularly flustered, yeah. never gets he's particularly... <laughs> <isn't> he's <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a pl- it's a note he's not playing, yeah. not what he yeah. is playing. then he headbutts someone. Yeah, he it, yeah it that, that, would be,
1: that would be great. <laughs> uh, well, it wasn't all... Uh, from all go Corbyn's way, David Cameron managed to get in uh, a joke about McDonald's. Now, the fact is that apparently McDonald's have been banned from having a stand at the Labour Party conference later this year. Uh, here is a clip of what I warn you now is one of the worst jokes you're ever going to hear.
6: When I read they were going to ban McDonald from the party conference, I thought it was the first sensible decision they've made. But it turns out it wasn't the job destroyer they wanted to keep away from their conference. It was one of Britain's biggest employers. No wonder wonder Labour MPs are in despair. Frankly, I'm loving it.
1: Right, that was... I'm sorry about that, everyone. I do apologise. it's just the worst thing about that
3: joke. It's that like, it's not the joke. It's that someone piece actually laughed.
1: Yeah, but like that's it's, it. Was so bad. you haven't to this quiz yet? <laughs> Paul, um, can you talk us through this McDonald's row for, for those of us? Who yeah. Quite well, been yet
4: again, I was on duty on the committee corridor on Monday night uh, outside the Parliamentary Labour Party meeting, the PLP as it's known, and Jeremy Corbyn turned up. Now, whenever Jeremy Corbyn turns up, you're going to get a bit of uh, tension with some of his backbenchers. And the latest thing they were all upset about was this idea that Labour will turn down thirty grand from McDonald's to have a stall at party conference in September. Um, the reason. They're upset is because they thought, well, this is just a bit snobby, you know, you're out of touch with ordinary people, millions of people eat at McDonald's, what's your problem? Just because it's a big American company. But to be fair to Corbyn and to some of the people there at the PLP, he made a strong fist of saying, actually, this has nothing to do with me being a vegetarian, for Christ's sake, although he didn't quite put it like that, is Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. He, he said, no, this is about workers' rights, the fact that they don't recognize the unions, and there's been a big campaign by the Bakers Union. I know very few people have heard of the Bakers' Union, but the reason they matter is, A, they're quite left-wing, B, they were elected to the national executive of the Labour Party last year and have a key seat on the NEC now. At the excuse, at the expense, it has to be said, of the Steelworkers' Union community. Really? But there you go, a little fact. Um, but they're also very close to Jeremy Corbyn, and dear to his heart is this whole idea of union recognition in the fast food industry. And it's been a big campaign in, in America $15 for an hour for, for, for a normal rate of wage and union recognition. And Corbyn loves that campaign. It's a sort of classic Corbyn campaign. It's made some success in the States, uh, the home of fast food. And he wants to make sure something happens so similar the here. Union? The, the Baker's Union, they're the people who want <laughs> to, very happened, funny. They want recognition for ordinary you know, people who work in, in McDonald's, managers right. and workers.
1: Well, that leads us on to this week's quiz.
5: Excellent.
4: Does it? Right. Does it? <laughs> Bated breath. About uh, Is it about pickles or? No, it's not. Dill?
1: It's about it's about exhibitions at the Labour Party conference. Ah, <laughs> ah, it's like, it's be so this could I'm going to read out some names and you've got to tell me whether at last year's conference 2015 these were genuine these were people who had stalls there, okay? Right. So was it labor display?
5: We were all there, remember. Yeah, we so were. We we <laughs> got no excuse.
1: It, labor display or Owen's misclaim?
5: Late. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> o- <laughs> Labour's
1: display or <all>. Owen's misclaim. Owen's <laughs> misclaiming that right. they were there. Yeah, it's good okay. we have to explain. How about uh, Owen's joke. lame? Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> Sinn she's fine. That rhymes as well. It's confusing. Did right? they have a stall at the Labour yeah. conference last year?
4: Yeah, surely. I th- I think they would. Paul mm-hmm. thinks it's lame.
1: I don't remember they have a stall saying no. It is Owen's misclaim. They did not have a stall there. Next year. Uh, HSBC.
5: You're marking down the answers
1: there. I am. (laughs) HSBC.
3: Yeah, I reckon they did. Um,
1: Labour
5: display. Labour display, yeah.
1: Cool.
4: I'm going to say it's an own misclaim. It is an own misclaim. Because Labour were very bad last year attracting a lot of big business. That's
1: true. (laughs) Uh, The Falkland Island Government.
4: Definitely. Yes, they Absolutely. were there. They're yeah. always there. They were there. You are the in right. Ireland. I think they are even at the Lib Dems, aren't <laughs> <laughs> they? They were, yeah. Nat West. Ooh. Does Nat that's West that's
1: still HSP exist? Trick. Well, it, does. Yeah, it does.
4: That's not
2: the
4: question, Paul. <laughs> or is <laughs> I it? I would say or Labour or
3: Display. I think you're trying to.
4: Yeah, you can have bamboo. Yeah, they were there. Google.
5: No. No. Oh, yeah.
4: Oh, You know, I think, yes. That was, yeah. a, that was a help. <laughs> a scoop of the there from <laughs>
5: uh, whatever the yes is, I'm getting
4: it. <laughs> Labor, oh, display. Labor display. display, yeah, I'll go for that.
1: Google were there,
4: you're right. Uh,
1: okay, let's wrap this up quickly. Uh, no, it's great. Amazon.
4: No. Owen oh, misclaim. Uh, Labor display. No, I, think I,
5: don't, I don't think yeah. so. Yeah,
1: oh, Owen misclaim. And finally, uh, trust reservations.
4: Yeah. Oh, yes, Labour display, because they organise, the, 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 aren't they the weird front organisation that makes loads of money for the Labour Party by booking hotel rooms at 300 quid a night that would normally be like 60 quid a night?
1: Well, obviously, I can't comment any of that aspect of it. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I yeah, would yes, say yes. Right, in for yeah, yeah. 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 There we go. Yeah, so there we are, that was this week's quiz. And it was a corker. Thank you very much. Anyway, after getting a rare turning over by Corbyn in PMQs, David Cameron sought to shift the focus onto the London mayoral election. The contest between Labour's Sadiq Khan and Tory Zach Goldsmith has become increasingly bitter, with Goldsmith accusing Khan of giving cover to Islamic extremists. Here is the PM in the Commons.
6: If we are going to condemn not just violent extremism, but also the extremism that seeks to justify violence in any way, it is very important that we do not back these people and we do not appear on platforms with them. And I have to say, I am concerned about Labour's candidate as Mayor of London, who has appeared again and again and again.
1: Labour MP shouted racist as the PM spoke those words and later on Labour MP Chuka Amuna said this on LBC.
3: They wouldn't be making an issue of this were it not for Sadiq's religion, and that is reprehensible. It's Islamophobic,
6: and it is unbecoming of somebody holding the office of Prime Minister. So you're you're accusing the Prime Minister of
2: being Islamophobic? Yes, I am. Deliberately?
0: I mean, mean, was he deliberately saying this?
1: Yes,
5: they
4: they are deliberately doing this.
1: Paul and Graham, you were both in the Commons when this happened. Did you notice, like, a change in the atmosphere as you started saying these words?
4: Definitely. I mean, there's sort of something tripped on the Labour benches. They, they smelled not just the usual, you know, abuse of PMQs. All PM, Prime Ministers do it. Blair did it. Brown did it. You know, you abuse BM PMQs to attack your opponent during an election. Nothing new about that. What was different was they, the whiff it wasn't actually the wh- necessarily the whiff of, of uh, an abusive process. It's more what they could hear. They picked up that dog whistle and it really rang in their ears and they thought, right, we've got to react straight away. That's why you got this uh, instinctive use of the word racist and it wasn't just the usual sort of left wingers were showing racist. a lot of moderates showing racist because they're, they're really finally angry about it and it boiled over
5: it, two things that struck me about it was that a it, it felt like the ukip kind of shock and awful tactic did it not it had that kind of element of saying saying something so unimaginable that it, that it, that it distracts the attention for whatever thing they're trying to distract the attention from and the the, the distraction is the fact that um, Zach Goldsmith's campaign isn't going partic- particularly well, right? Um I oh, mean you've been on the campaign trail more yeah. more 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 than I have, but most people seem to be reading it as if um it's it's pretty much Sadiq to lose. Uh Zach's not doing particularly well, he's not he's he, he's pretty half-hearted in his campaign. Well, is, I that, was, is, that, uh, is that broadly it? Yeah, I mean
1: uh, I was at Zach Goldsmith's manifesto launched last week and after he uh, gave his little speech, he then had a little round table with some journalists there. And all the questions were dominated about this, these attacks on, ta- on um, Sadiq Khan for sharing platforms, supposedly, with, uh, Islamic pre- with preachers of, sort of you know, supporting Islamic State or whatnot. And the claims of it, is this dog whistle politics? Is this uh, Islamophobic campaign? And then one journalist tried to give Zach Goldsmith a bit of an out and said, on a scale of one to ten, Zach, how passionate are you about being London mayor? And he went, well, yeah, you know, I mean, you don't do these things as you really want it, I suppose, and all that. And they was just like, <laughs> I wanted to shake the man. Yeah. He's like, Zach, mate, here's your chance. to say I'm 11, I really want this. Yeah. And but you could tell there was two things. that He doesn't strike me someone someone's particularly comfortable making these attacks on Zidane Khan and bringing, effectively bringing his faith into it. But he's still doing it.
5: And you can't imagine if it was Boris running again for, you know, if, he'd, if this was his second term, that they would be reaching for these tactics. Well, would say, or or would they?
1: I think... You know, Boris has been saying these things as well. Boris has been used as the warm up guy at Zach Goldsmith's, uh, a couple of Zach Goldsmith's events, kind of activist meetings. And Boris has been saying similar things about Sadiq and raising questions about Sadiq Khan's judgment. If, you know, standing with these people, but Sadiq Khan was a human rights lawyer. Yeah. In <laughs> part, as you defend people who aren't very nice. Well, is it? Is it, is it hasn't, a, sa- hasn't,
5: hasn't Zach been pictured with the same person? The, 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 the same guy,
1: exactly the same, 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 guy, the same Iman, um, Ghani, that David Cameron's talking about there. Zach Goldsmith's been pictured with. And then. This guy, Ghani, came out yesterday on LBC as well and said, actually, I voted... Not only did I vote Conservative at the last election, I actually campa- campaigned on behalf of the Conservatives. We campaigned
4: for election. the guy who was Sadiq Khan's yeah. opponent. In Tooting. In Tooting, the exactly. Tory candidate. And that's more valuable than actually a guy photobombing Zach Goldsmith. Yeah, I and mean, that's absolutely. what that was. Um, but yeah. also, Jane Ellison sharing a platform, a minister, the health minister, sharing a platform with this guy. So that's why the PM spokesman after PMQ said, well, this wasn't once, this was nine times. Um, yeah, of course, the Khan camp say, look, there was nine times because that's his job. He was a human rights yeah. lawyer. Now, I think there is a legitimate question about every candidate's judgment when it comes to sharing platforms with people. Um, you have to go beyond some of the noise to say, actually, it, the, the main charge against Sadiq Khan is not that he's an extremist, but he'll do anything to get into power. Yeah. And don't forget, one of the his former wife's brother in law. Um, Uh, sorry, his his sister's former husband, his former brother-in-law, the charge against him uh, only in the last week was actually Sadiq Khan will do anything to get into mm. power. That's why he slagged me off. This is a guy who's, again, portrayed an extremist. Uh, and he didn't like that. So there is, there is a legitimate question about you know, your judgment as a, as a candidate, but I think what really riles Labour MPs is, is purely because he's a Muslim candidate. I think the problem with,
1: with that from Zach's point of view, and you're right, there is this perception that you know, Sadiq Khan will do anything to get into power. But when if you're Zach Goldsmith effectively making that charge and you're sending out leaflets, to different ethnic minority groups in London, like Zach Galtis done, saying if Sadiq Khan gets in, your family jewellery is at risk. Then you yourself, like, you would do anything to get into power. Yeah. And, and that's why you've got to be purer than pure if you want to start making these kind of attacks. I mean, there'll be a lot of people listening to this outside London who will be saying, well, why does this matter? And I think it matters for two reasons, because first of all, the person running this campaign for Zach Goldsmith is, of course, Linton Crosby Associates, the, the company which, the person which helps master a lot of the Tory stuff. And are we seeing this is the way that their campaign's going to go? And also, you know, is this them trying to out-UKIP Ukip UKIP as well? Is this the way of trying to get some... Well, the reason it matters...
4: Sorry,
3: sorry. It's really bizarre that is the way they're going to go, because they seem to make a lot of effort in courting the ethnic minority vote. And um, Chuck Raman himself has warned recently that Labour's losing the ethnic minority vote to the Conservatives. So it's interesting if they start to then doing this tactic, it undermines any progress they have made in, in the Muslim community.
4: But uh, to answer, you, answer your point about why, why are we talking about this and why does it matter outside yeah. London, it matters because come May the 6th, the main story that Labour wants is a Labour victory in London. The main stories the Tories want is a Tory victory in councils and town halls across the country. which will Those results come out a bit earlier. So that's why this all matters, even if you're not a Londoner.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, anyway, after receiving official designation last week, Vote Leave stepped up its pro-Brexit campaign. Justice Secretary Michael Gove gave a long speech on Tuesday in which he simultaneously accused Remainers of conducting a Project Fear campaign, whilst also saying that staying in the EU was like being locked in the boot of a car. Vote Leaves campaign director Dominic Cummings appeared before a parliamentary committee yesterday and seemed determined to be as prickly as possible to everyone involved. Here's a clip of his best bits.
6: It's not in fact uh, uh, debited from the Consolidated Fund. Six billion of it never leaves the Consolidated Fund. It is in
2: fact debited. That's exactly what the ONS says. If you don't like that, then you should argue with the ONS, not with me. When you're sitting in your slippers talking to Mrs Tyree and you're looking at your bank statements, and you look at your bank statement and it says X amount of money is debited from your account, that means it's gone from your account, doesn't it? Look, we are currently a member of it. Norway is currently a member of it. Other EU members are members of it, whether or not they use the euro. It's a very simple question. Do you think we should be a member of part of the single market or not? Yes or no? The single market is a political project from Jacques Delors, and it encompasses... I'm answering the question.
6: I don't think you're understanding the question. I'm asking a straightforward, simple question. We really are getting down to very simple Mm -hmm. questions. Is this one
2: a leaflet of your organisation? Do you mean that design of leaflet, or do you mean that individual leaflet? It's why the establishment has got every big foreign policy decision wrong since trying to deal with Bismarck in the 1870s, 1860s. All the big things Whitehall and Parliament have unfortunately got wrong since then.
1: Bismarck, it's not a, not a name you hear. <laughs> not, <laughs> not enough, not um, enough been I sharing think. in office in Parliament with um, the very intelligent people of The Spectator and I had to go over and ask James Forsyth, a very educated young man, about Otto van Bismarck and what exactly the British did or didn't do—I don't know. You should just ask me, mate. Yeah, Uh, Paul, you were at Michael Gove's speech on Tuesday, and by all accounts, he gave a very good newspaper column, but not a particularly good speech. What did he make of it?
4: Well, it was a good speech in the sense that it was a brilliantly crafted journalistic enterprise, Um, and it it reminded me of him being back at the Oxford Union and and standing at the dispatch box and, and being a great sort of. Orator and debater, so he had a rhetorical flourish. He had some good gags. He sort of conjured up the sort of how ridiculous the the Project Fear uh, project really was. You know, saying that you know Trump and uh, people like Trump and Putin were effectively going to turn out to be the Joker and the Penguin. You know, and it was quite good. Some good funny lines. You know, eloquent. There's no question. But it's a bit like Dominic Cummings. Eloquence is is one thing, but having a coherent set of facts and a coherent argument which is not thin is something else and you might argue that beyond all the eloquence that it is paper thin some of these arguments you know that he had no answer to the real question about what does this free trade area mythical free trade area we're going to join look like and when we said well is it, it is it the Albanian model they all got the, the vote leavers got very offended and no don't compare it to Albania we're not saying we're going to be Albania but actually it is going to be like Albania <laughs> you know you have that sort of you're not in the EU you're not really totally apart from Europe so you'll have some other status now obviously they're right there is no off the peg model that britain can adopt you know britain is unique britain's got totally different relationships it's not albania in the sense it's got a lot more trade it's got a lot more contacts with europe but the fact is that gove didn't really engage with some of those issues and some of it does unravel under closest scrutiny
1: graham i want you to do me a favor now go on i want you to imagine you're a woman (laughs) in sort of age from 1345 right in the north North-eastern England.
5: Yeah. Do, you, do, you want, do we dress up no. in the accent, <laughs> or we, just in my mind? Just imagine it. Okay.
1: They are apparently the group of the most undecided people on the EU referendum. Okay. Now you watched some of Dominic Cummings yesterday. Would you have been persuaded to back him in that mindset? <laughs> um.
5: Okay. Did way I is that what I'm supposed to say in that accent? I've <laughs> done <laughs> Um. No, because because it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't. To be fair to him, it wasn't a pitch to to voters in a certain. No, but it was three hours s- of him s-
1: setting out. The case for vote leave right
5: yeah, but it was it was it was Almost it was gonna, it. it was political theater, it was a bit of a laugh for people like us who were sat in, sat in Westminster watching a guy who looks like you know a kind of extra in the office or something getting getting harassed by by his kind of middle mid, middle managers or, or or whatever it made for great entertainment it made for great knockabout stuff but you know if this if that was a semblance of the of, of the actual pitch that they're going to make to the kind of retail pitch the doorstep pitch uh, to, to voters, then then, exactly. then, then they won't win. But that, and that won't be it. It was a different It was a different scenario oh, to okay. that. It's another
3: yeah. problem as well, though. I mean, Michael Gove, he wasn't just at a committee in Parliament. He was yeah. on TV all day, newspaper today programme. How many actual voters is Michael Gove persuading?
2: Well, that's I a mean, that's that's big problem.
3: Particularly when Obama's about to land and deliver a kind of massive pro-EU punch. I, to the I completely agree. One, like, who is Michael Gove? What was the audience but, for Gove's speech? That,
4: that's true. And But the, the flip side of that is... You've got, on the one side, you've got two of the people with the most negative ratings in British politics, Michael Gove and George Osborne, on opposite sides of this debate. Osborne has been trying to hammer home how in economically literate you must be if you don't back the, the I mean, in campaign. And if Gove knows about, it's economic <laughs> and, literacy, and, right? and, and, well, actually, he doesn't. He's not that economically literate. He's a jobbing journalist at the end of the day. So he's not an economist. But equally, Gove has got his own negatives amongst lots of parents out there. But the really interesting stuff is actually it's going to be Boris that uh, that appeals to the the women up in Newcastle and Leeds and Manchester. That's exactly why he went up there last weekend to deliver his pitch. And actually, I think he's very effective with that audience. He keeps it simple, says it's a patriotic case, let's be buccaneers, you know, we can do this, we don't need it. Um, Equally for Labour, you know, Alan Johnson is a great asset but we haven't seen enough of him.
1: I think you made a good point on on Twitter yesterday, Paul, today, when the Vote Leave are now acting like the official opposition because they're saying how the NHS is in crisis, therefore we must use the money we get back from the EU to save it. I mean, it was torn apart quite effectively, the committee yesterday, all these claims, we could put £350 million a week more into the NHS if we leave the EU. Well, who's who decided that? And More people want that money. And it's
4: that's a, go that's a good point about actually why Cummins mattered yesterday, because actually at least the committee tried to tease apart some of these yep. big claims. And they're, they're really good sort of, you know, doorstep claims to make. And it's the best pitch that the Leave campaign have got is, we'll save you 350 million quid a week if we leave Europe. Actually, uh, as Gove had to admit in his own speech, that 350 million figure doesn't take into account the rebate we get back yeah. from Brussels and it certainly doesn't take into account the amount of money that's spent on Britain yeah. by Europe. And so instead of a 19 billion quid that we supposedly hand over every year to Europe, it's actually 10 billion. Yeah. And that's quite a different chunk of money. And, and if there is, an economist,
1: but I can do the math on that. And if,
4: there is, if there's, if there's
5: the, the, the Remain campaign, the big difference it seems to be between Remain and Leave is, is the brutal efficiency of the, of the Remain campaign. And there are similarities Between, as as others have noted, between what the Remain pitch looks like and what the Tory party's pitch looked like in um, last year's election, which was uh, lining up. If you looked at the, the the people who were lined up on Monday for the for the big, this is the impact of Brexit. It was Osborne flanked by two women and another. Uh, a, a, another was it, was it, was it four it Crab, people that was very similar to the Tory party manifesto of, of the, the team kind of li- lined up together there was a big figure that they wanted to, to sell it on it has, it, has, it, has, it has kind of echoes of of that and it, it, and it will be ruthless it will be brutal it knows exactly what it wants to do and, it, and it's going to target and them. it's going to play on fear just
4: as yeah. they did last year which worked quite well uh,
1: anyway so moving back to commerce business the government is facing pressure to climb down on plans to charge better off social housing Tenants to pay to stay after three straight defeats in the House of Lords. MPs will next week be handed back a housing and planning bill that has been dramatically altered after majority votes for the opposition brought the number of defeats the legislation has suffered to six. This is the latest in the long line of battles in the Lords for the government, which has been made to think again on tax credits, child refugees, and the trade union bill. By peers, Graham, you were sort of across the housing bill this week. Is this, like I said there, another example of how the government haven't got a majority in the Lords and it's really screwing up their plans?
5: Yeah, it does seem to be. There's this thing called the anti-Tory majority made up of uh, principally Labour and Lib Dem um, peers who, when coming together, will have a, a majority over over the government. And, um, yeah, so uh, in the housing bill, there's been 60 defeats that they've inflicted upon um, this the housing bill, which is is a massive kind of... Um, government housing reform is i mean there's all sorts of stuff in there from kind of um, help to buy to 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 to, to ending life on tenancies in in, in council houses all all sorts of stuff so you've had six defeats and uh, seven or eight concessions given so you're talking about kind of 13 14 kind of u-turns defeats kind of call, call it what you will so it's, it's been it's been kind of duffed up quite, quite quite nastily in there and 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 as i was saying it's not it's not the kind of the, the, the first time this has happened um we've had the um tax credits u-turn that was came in through slightly different circumstances um, but nonetheless, that was, that was the first big defeat that Lord's inf- inflicted on the government. Um, you've had um, the trade union bill, is that right, Yeah, Paul? in the so past
4: week, the trade union bill, the government did a big, big concession on this thing called off, which means, you know, public sector workers, the way their trade union dues are taken directly from their, their salary. The government had to admit, look, we don't want a war on this. Um, and I think that's quite interesting because that um, little sort of concession, U-turn, um, is an indication that the government, number 10, do not want a war right now with the trade union movement and they don't necessarily want a war with Labour. Why? there's a European Union referendum going on. So there is a kind of truce. It's all about trying to not scrape the barnacles off the boat, but really trying to make sure that the waters are quite calm and there's no needless conflict. It's a big enough battle already fighting the, the, the battle to keep stay in the European Union. And, and I get the impression that the trade union bill and other little concessions on housing, other little concessions like short money, where the government went in really gung-ho about funding the opposition, it's slowly but surely, you've seen opposition make some headway. But I think the really important um, factor here is the way the Lords is a really canny chamber at getting concessions, much cannier than the Commons. It's not just the fact they've got an anti majority. Obviously, that matters massively. But it's about the language they use of compromise and review and a, and a, te- a, and a sense that you can look at this again. Because, of course, they don't have any power to block anything. But what they do have, there's a power to revise. And they use it brilliantly. Whereas the Commons, it seems to be either you're for this amendment or you're against it. In the Lords, you put up an amendment, you flag it up, and you say, right, we're, we're going to defeat you on this, and we're going to f- delay it. So why don't you just be sensible, Mr. and Mrs. Min- Minister, and give us a little concession that will buy this off. And that's the way real politics in the real world works. Not everyone likes it, because some trade unions think, look, you know, this bill is, is awful still, for example. But some smarter, sort of more savvy people say, actually, this is the only way you're going to get concessions.
5: Well, well so, Some people kind of question, should the House of Lords be wielding this amount of power, given that it's an un- unelected body we had this week, the return of... Uh, Lord John Thurso, uh, a former Lib Dem MP who... um, And former peer. And former peer. So he's gone from being a peer to being elected MP to being kicked out as an MP, and now he's back in the Lords as a result of a very kind of complicated um, system that involves um, three people voting for um, uh, whoever the next Lib Dem hereditary hereditary peer is. Seven Uh, voters for... Seven voters. Sorry,
1: three voters for seven... Candidates. Seven candidates. Yeah. Right, three
5: guys for seven candidates, right. And, 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 he, and, and he, he got 100%. He, yeah. he got all <laughs> three. <laughs> an absolute... Something Landslide. Good. And some people will look at that and go, hang on a minute, if this is how you do business over here, should you really be having as much uh, influence over an elected body?
1: Speaking of unelected uh, bodies and institutions, the Queen celebrated her 90th birthday today and um, the Commons gave, spent two and a half hours saying how great she was. Before we leave you with clips of David Cameron and Jeremy Corbyn paying honour... To Her Majesty, it's time for Graham's stat of the week. It's actually a fact of the week this week. It's a
5: fact. You're yeah. getting the uh, still no jingle for it. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Um, this is a stat of the week. The Queen may be the world's oldest monarch, but she's not the longest serving. Oh, this is quite good. Here we go. <laughs> that honour falls to Bummy Boy Adel y- Day. Say that again. Yeah. I'm not saying that again. He's the King of Thailand. Who is he? King of Thailand. What's his name again? Um I'm not gonna pronounce that because you set me up there. See?
4: He's been so the king. Like, this is what he's like, pronouncing he's, your surname. He's though. been the so, king okay, since yeah, go on. since
5: nineteen forty six.
4: Yeah. He's so. the longest serving monarch, is he? Alive. Is he still alive?
5: Yeah. You're asking me if I come up with stat this is yeah. he comes up with a stat, I read.
1: He's it. still alive, he's the longest serving monarch. His name is that guy? Yeah, anyway. Roll
6: the clips. See you next week. Bye-bye. Mr. Speaker, there are some who suspect that at times I may have put her patience to the test. In the play The Audience, the character who, who portrays me goes on and on about Europe for so long that she falls asleep. But I can guarantee this has never happened. I may not have kept my promise not to bang on about Europe in every forum, but this is certainly the one where I try the hardest.
2: I say, Mr. Speaker, as a relatively young whipper-snapper. I'm fully in favour of our country having leaders of a finer vintage. (laughs) Today we're talking about a highly respected individual who is 90. And, Mr. Speaker, whatever differing views people across this country have about the institution, the vast majority share an opinion that Her Majesty has served this country. And has overwhelming support with a clear sense of public service and public duty, as the Prime Minister just indicated.
0: Hold up.